0: Some say he was a Bolton, Old Nan would always end. Some say a Magnar out of Skagos. Some say Umber, Flint, or Nori. Some would have you think he was a Woodfoot, from them who ruled Bear Island before the Iron Men came. He never was. He was a Stark, the brother of the man who brought him down.
1: With as much depth and detail as were provided in A Song of Ice and Fire, sometimes the story grows on its own. George R. R. Martin describes himself as a gardener, meaning he creates characters, plots, and scenes, and all that. Then he waters them and watches them grow. The analogy really works if you think of the characters as branches, while picturing George holding pruning shears while sporting a murderous gleam in his eyes. But even with the liberal removal of branches, leaves, roots, overused analogies, uh, sometimes things grow in the same open spaces, meeting along the way. With the major details, any incidents like this is clearly intentional. But with the very small details, well, the story grows like a living thing would. In many ways, George may not have predicted, and that's exactly what he's aiming for. He wants this world to be like a living creature, so rich with detail that it lives and breathes as if it were alive.
0: So hello and welcome to another episode of History of Westeros, a podcast dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. Now, this is a rare episode that draws from the Divergent show canon in addition to the book canon, as we usually do.
1: Right. We're actually incorporating a lot more show knowledge than usual, but we have, as controversial as that may sound, we have good reasons for doing it. You'll see. Just stay with us. Uh, A few other intro items before we get into the meat of the episode. Uh, We will be doing a Reddit AMA on Monday, December 22nd. A lot of you will have just been hearing this podcast, and a lot of you are aware of that already. But of course, even if you're hearing this well after the AMA, it'll be worth going to check out and and reading some of the uh, answers and questions that were posed. It should be a lot of fun. Another announcement that we have is that we've been talking a lot about... Ways to make the show uh, more regular, to have, have more episodes, and to get more content for everybody. And one of the things that we're doing is we've launched a Patreon campaign It should be visible by the time you've seen this episode. There may be a few of you that get to the episode really fast, and, and it's not up yet. But it's going to be there. It'll be there for uh, a long time to come, so most of you, will, will it'll be there by the time you're, you're hearing this. Now, the point of Patreon is to support niche creators, meaning creators, uh, people making content that isn't necessarily super mainstream. People can pledge to support with a dollar amount per month. And, you know, you can manage yourself and lots of different uh, creations that you're trying to support in a lot of different ways. Patreon was created by creative people and it's it's really great. You should check the website out and uh, view it for yourself. www.patreon, that's P A T R E O N dot And we're at History of Westeros on there, easy to find. And we've got a, a list of different ways you can support the show. And some of those lists, some, uh, rather, some of those things include benefits for you guys. And we hope you uh, will, f- will think it's worthwhile and will pledge your support to History of Westeros. We can keep making more episodes more often. We're, of course, still on Amazon.com. If you go to HistoryofWesteros.com, you can shop through our Amazon links and support the show that way. Anything you buy through those links will give us a small hit. Uh, we've also had a lot of activity on our forums lately, which is great. You can join the discussions over there at www.HistoryofWesteros.com forums and get involved in a lot of the fun things we're talking about, including uh, what things that are coming up in future episodes. You guys can actually participate in the discussion as to what's going to go in future episodes. And, of course, you can hear our thoughts as these episodes are in progress, where we actually try to figure out some of the plots and uh, histories that we're going to bring to you in the podcast. So, that is all of the... um, Lead up information and all of our pre-show spiel for now. So without any further ado, let's get into the episode itself. We're all excited to hear about Night's King. It's also really good to be back in our Religions and Magic series. It's something that we'll be coming back to frequently. We're not just going to keep putting out Religion and Magic mm-hmm. podcasts straight up and, and not do any other topics. We're going we're to bounce around a bit. But we're going to come back to this one pretty often, especially when we've got a great topic like this. Yeah. Night's King is a lot fun.
0: Our last episode could have been history of magic too, uh, the Doom of Valyria, but we went with his, We went with just history, but it was kind of like it was, you know.
1: That's a good Doom point. Position. Yeah, part of the is that we've we've kind of done most of our religion and magic stuff so far has been northern related, and it kind of <laughs> it's kind of sequential. We got the you know the <laughs> werewoods. well the, the comet really Thomas. is just everything, yeah. and then we got the werewoods, and then and then we've got Night's King, which is another northern topic. But yeah, you're right. We could have easily the Doom is very much yeah. a religion and magic topic. Yeah. It could have been that, but. We didn't do that, so (laughs) hmm, that's the way it is. Now, for a world to feel authentic, to feel real, it has to have its own unanswerable questions, things no character can ever know, like the real world is for us humans. There's mysteries of life that none of us could possibly answer. For a story to be consistent with what we consider to be that human existence, it has to have its own stories. Just like... Children on Earth have been told tales for nearly all of human existence, whether to scare them, or to inspire them, or to make them feel something. Those those things have existed since about as long as language has existed. Now, in Westeros, there's tales of squishers, merlings, unicorns, dragons, and bats. Uh, these stand alone or are mixed with tales of great heroes or villains like, say, Simeon Star-Eyes or mad two characters that we'll be talking about a little bit in this episode. Now, some of these stories are actually true, though, unlike a lot of the fairy tales told in the real world, or at least rooted in truth in this case. Other times, George uses myth, legend, and or history to illuminate parallels with living characters. In other words, these stories are actually a reflection of what's going to happen. And sometimes he does both. Sometimes there it's an illumination of history and it's foreshadowing.
0: Yeah, knowing that, we're always looking for these parallels. You know, parallels, not necessarily they're going to, you know, repeat the events, but parallels. And so this topic, of course, provides many opportunities. Even though, you know, we don't precisely know who the parallel to the Knight's King is, even if there, if there even actually is one, but we do think that there is a parallel, or at least a few, some, some parallels, and we've got some ideas on who it could be. And in terms of mention, the Night's King is a pretty obscure character. I mean, he isn't brought up at all in a Game of Thrones or in a Clash of Kings. He is mentioned briefly in both Feast and Dance, but it's the same identical mention (laughs) seen from two different point of views, you know, John and Sam. And it's only mentioned in passing something that Sam read, uh, you know, an echo at best, uh, as any book of an age long before writing. (laughs) So, yeah, you can't... not much of anything but he is also briefly mentioned in the world of ice and fire but just like a small detail or two you know not, not much new to be found there
1: so what we do know about Night's king is mostly in a storm of swords There's a good bit there though we possibly learn some major things from the tv show that's where it gets a little controversial as far as mixing cannons there now normally like i said that would be almost a controversial thing to say to put the whole tv and show you can't you can't cross those streams well, that's because, in general, you shouldn't do that. And the show is a different animal, like a like a parallel universe, almost, where things have worked out differently. Um, but we And we usually treat it as such. In fact, I don't know that we've ever done something like this. But there are reasons to make an exception, which we'll explain as we go through the process. As the episode unfolds, you'll see why we decided to kind of wrap these things mm-hmm. two together. But we're keeping them distinct as the details come out. <laughs> now, since we've got so little... In terms of hard evidence to sink our teeth into, relatively speaking, there will, of course, be some conjecture. We have to theorize a bit. Uh, apart from Knight's King topics, uh, we're going to have kinslaying. We're going to talk about the blue eyes of the Others and Whites, how important that is. Knight's Queen, not just Knight's King. We're going to talk about the lands of always winter. We're going to talk about cold hands. We're also going to talk about some of our favorite characters, Stannis. We've really been mm-hmm. talking about Stannis a lot lately, but <laughs> here he comes again. Bran, Melsandra, Roose Bolton, Jon Snow, Benjen even, there's a a couple of... Talk about a
0: bunch of different other legends. Yeah,
1: so there's going to be a lot here. Many different tales. That's true, many different Um, tales.
0: But we're going to start with the castle that the Night's King supposedly ruled from, which is the Nightfort, and this is part one, the Nightfort.
1: There's nothing here to hurt us, Your Grace.
0: Bran wasn't so certain. The Nightfort had figured in some of Old Man's scariest stories. It was here that Night's King had reigned before his name was wiped from the memory of man.
1: That is what it was, as for now, Maester Theomar of White Harbor referred to it as a ruin, a drear and dreadful place.
0: Now, with any ancient topic, and this one is, you know, extra ancient, we tend to lack solid detail. You know, there wasn't anyone writing things down back then. (laughs) That's what it comes down to. There was just no writing at that point in history, so, you know, George R. R. Martin can't give us direct written history about the Night's King. Without such, we, you know, we just have to explore the inferences made by you know, the few clues that were given and use some deductive reasoning. Of
1: course. The Nightfort is possibly the only place in Westeros where one could hope to find clues about Night's King. It's the only physical vestige from his era, as far as we know. Everything else being a haze of myth and story. Ultimately, all else is no more than wordplay, and words are wind. Of course, we've been told that plenty of times. Now, abandoned by the Night's Watch about 200 years ago, about, rather, 200 years before the start of the books, should we say, apparently because it was, quote, ruinously costly, it's the largest and most ancient castle on the wall. That it's, that it's the largest is an important factor in considering the power and influence the Night's King may have wielded in his own time. As we've seen throughout the series, regions tend to be dominated by the most powerful castle in the area. The Nightfort was the chief castle on the wall until it was abandoned. So that's the vast majority of the wall's existence. The Nightfort was the castle. So the Alpha Castle, let's say. (laughs) It was likely not nearly as large when it was first built, however.
0: Maesters who served at the Night Fort while it was whilst it was still in use made it plain that the castle had been expanded upon many times over the centuries, and that little remained of its original structure, save for some of the deepest vaults chiseled out of the rock beneath the castle's feet.
1: The fact that the tunnels and deepest vaults are as ancient as the castle really stands out. The place has been expanded on and added to, but the deep cave systems were intended by the original builders, or at least one of the very earliest to make changes. When we see the place firsthand, as we do with the quote starting this section, the tone is set right away by Brand's feelings of dread. But surely that comes, at least in part, from the many stories he, and we, have heard about the place, and none of these are pleasant.
0: Over the thousands of years of its existence as the chief seat of the Watch... The fort has accrued many legends of its own, some of which have been recounted in Archmaester Harmoon's Watchers on the Wall.
1: Given how unpleasant these legends are, they may have something to do with why the place was abandoned, or at least why it was abandoned first, since so many other castles on the wall are also abandoned and empty. In other words, perhaps it wasn't just the expense.
0: But these stories are really old, probably thousands of years old and the night fort was only abandoned two centuries ago so you know maybe the expenses are the answer after all i Mm. mean we lack a bit of perspective too i mean as we all know only three of the 19 castles on the wall are in use and those castles are abandoned for known reasons lack of manpower and money so when we hear the same of the night fort why why question it because of the
1: cool stories (laughs) (laughs) i don't hear those cool stories about the other places (laughs) brand shares this curiosity that we have
0: once his uncle came to see father, and Bran asked about the Nightfort. Benjamin Stark never said the tales were true, but he never said they weren't. He only shrugged and said, We left the Nightfort 200 years ago. As if that was an answer.
1: Like us, Bran's similarly out of luck for now.
0: And now it bears mention that neither Mira or Jojen or Hodor are intimidated by it. Bran has also just been dreaming about the Red Wedding which, you know, just happened at this point um, in A Storm of Swords. So he was already full of dread and anxiety. And furthermore, Bran is a really young child whose ideas about the Night Fort, you know, derive from tales told to him by an old woman who was trying to scare him with the story. (laughs) I mean, that's the point of scary bedtime stories.
1: (laughs) Right. Then again, old Dan's tales have a surprising amount of accuracy to them. We don't have time to go into all that in this episode, but... Trust us. Throughout yeah. the times, are a lot of you have probably noticed the same thing. Old Nan stories tend to... A lot Old of Nan tend to have a lot of, Yeah, we need Old Nan Septim episode. Along <laughs> right. the That's right. The true oracles of, uh-huh. of Westeros. So, so pointing to her as a source may not actually discount the legends. It may actually... Her endorsement may actually increase their credibility. So that's cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's not the only one with an opinion that matters either, though.
1: Even Summer was not at ease here. Bran slipped inside his skin just for an instant to get the smell of the place. He did not like that either. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So one thing that we're going to be sure to point out if we ever do a direwolves episode, someday. Um, yeah, someday, mm-hmm. is that if they like someone, that person is pretty much definitely to be trusted, with the possible exception of <laughs> Probable... Yeah, it's always an exception, probable, isn't Probable, <laughs> Yeah, um, and if they don't like someone or something, you better watch out,
2: because mm-hmm.
0: there are ex- there. I mean, there are exceptions to this as well. I mean, such as the wolf, all kids cases of Dire Wolf on Tyrion, or a lot of what Shaggy Dog does. Just a I mean, that, yeah, that one went after <laughs> Maester Lewin, after all. Yeah. But those are times when the wolves were, you know, channeling their owner's anger. It was tense situations, so it wasn't their own natural reactions. And now, without going on a big org tangent, <laughs> the point is that Summer had a negative reaction, though not a particularly strong one, to be fair.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, there's no, this is nothing like, you know, Ghost refusing to enter the fist of the First Men. But it does make this place seem a lot more foreboding. For
1: so to be clear, this is not one of those times when Summer is upset on his own.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He Or it is, rather, one of those times where he's upset on his own. He's not afraid of the night Fort simply because Bran is. He's legitimately, you know, set off by something. Uh, we don't know what. Now, Old Nan, Bran, and Summer are all scared of the place. So that says a lot. But whatever might happen in the Nightfort, it didn't really happen. Nothing bad really happened during their time there, after all that.
0: Yeah, only good things happened, really. Uh, yeah, he and his party cool. <laughs> met Sam and Gilly, who showed them how to, get, to the, get through the wall. And before that, there was this.
1: Summer, sometime, or rather, sometimes Summer would hear sounds that Bran seemed deaf to, or bare his teeth at nothing, the fur on the back of his neck bristling. But the rat cook never put in an appearance, nor the 79 Sentinels, nor Mad Bran was much relieved. Maybe it is only a ruined castle.
0: And from that, it looks like Bran's fear seems to be, you know, subsiding a bit, although Summers may not have been. Now, a character that I'm worried about in terms of, you know, relation to the Night for it is Patchface. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, it's like he's half-dead already. And then there's this quote.
1: Melisandre's face darkened. That creature is dangerous. Many a time I have glimpsed him in my flames. Sometimes... There are skulls about him, and his lips are red with blood. Yeah,
0: Patchface and the night fort form, seems like a bad idea.
1: But that's exactly where he's headed. Yeah. And here's another thing, Melisandra, Not much really bothers her. She's yeah. like she's har- She's hardly rattled by the fact that Stannis lost the Battle of the Blackwater. She's like, well, we're going to prevail because the Red God's mm-hmm. behind us. But she's legitimately disturbed by Patchface. I mean, she's not disturbed by anything. So I think that's pretty important. But this isn't an episode about Patchface. We'll <laughs> we'll have to save that for another time too.
0: Fools of Westeros.
1: So no, <laughs> fools of Westeros indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not ready to dismiss the old stories just because nothing terrible has happened yet. Selyse says something that might be very ironic, actually, and it would only and it kind of bodes poorly for poor Shireen.
0: Yeah, she must be kept from harm, and Eastwatch is where the attack will come. This Nightfort is the place my husband has chosen for our seat, and there we shall abide.
1: Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) So there are a few reasons to think A Song of Ice and Fire very well might not be done with the Nightfort. Stannis himself has declared it his new seat, along with Patchface. There's Queen Solis and Melisandre and a bunch of others who were supposedly heading there. And since Mel has had a Point of View chapter already, maybe she'll have another one at the Nightfort. That'd be cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, before all hell broke loose at the Wall, Solis, Melisandre, and the whole gang were planning <laughs> on living there pretty relatively soon, and this is despite Jon's warning about its current state.
1: That's a good point. The the, the hell breaking loose at yeah. the Wall might change their plans, potentially, yeah. but um, I think maybe it's just a blip for them. I think there's still going to want to go to where Stannis told yeah. them to go. But... In any case, the wall offered few of the comforts that Southrun lords and ladies and little highborn girls South were used ladies. to. So both. All of them <laughs> were used to. And the night fort offered none.
0: However, I mean, it sounds functional enough from what the builders say.
1: Quote, We've got most of the keep restored and put a roof back on the kitchens. She'd need food and furnishings and firewood, mind you, but it might serve. Not so many comforts as Eastwatch, to be sure. And a long way from the ships, should her grace wish to leave us. But... Aye. She could live there, though it will be years before the place looks a proper castle.
0: So, I mean, if the story does take us to this point, it'll be pretty interesting to see how Queen Solis and Melisandre handle this place. <laughs> I mean, while the builders are, you know, getting it ready, they'll probably find what's the most peculiar thing about the Nightfort, the Black Gate.
1: Yeah, we've talked about the bit about the Black Gate before, um, so we're, we're, but we're gonna, here it comes again. Uh, a door made of werewood with a face that talks. That's right, a talking white weirwood door called the Black Gate. Okay, so whoever built this made sure it would be useful, creepy, and confusingly named. Mm-hmm. So Brand's group was drawn to the Nightfort because Jojen dreamt of this gate. Not specifically, but just that that was their way through. His green dreams led them to the Nightfort, though, like I said, it didn't specifically lead to the Black Gate. Sam did that, mm-hmm. and he told them,
0: We'll find this gate at the bottom of the well, asked Jojen.
1: Sam shook his head. You won't. I have to take you.
0: Why, Mira demanded, if there's a gate. You
1: won't find it.
0: Now, rarely is Sam so confident. Mm. It was cold hands who knew they would be there, telling Sam and Gilly that there would be people in the castle and about the Black Gate. He also told them that he was looking for Bran, although he didn't actually say the name Bran, just someone. Sam and Gilly, you know, figured it out quickly enough, though.
1: Yeah, there's enough context yeah. clues there. <laughs> um, so maybe
0: the builders won't find the Black Gate. Maybe some of the previous inhabitants didn't know about it either. Yeah, that's
1: an interesting question. As we see, when Sam leads Bran and company to it, the Black Gate only opens because he recites his Night's Watch oath, and apparently the fact that he is already a sworn brother is important as well. But th- it's weird, though, because Coldhands can't seem to pass through it, and he apparently is a sworn brother, although he's... A dead former brother.
0: <laughs> yeah. And in general, a tunnel through the wall seems pretty normal, but I mean not like not in this case. Yeah. Normal tunnels through the wall seem to be like the one at Castle Black. You know, not connected directly to the castle, but just next to it. We see the Knights Fort the Knight Fort's version of this tunnel type here.
1: The gate the Nightfort guarded had been sealed since the day the Black Brothers had loaded up their mules and garrons and departed for Deep Lake. Its iron portcullis lowered. The chains that raised it carried off. The tunnel packed with stone and rubble, all frozen together until they were as impenetrable as the wall itself. It's basically no tunnel at all anymore. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so the excellent. Black Gate is a different sort of tunnel entirely. Uh, it's deep underground with a magical portal. <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, but we have another reason to believe that it's unique as well in addition to the magical portal. Um, given that Jojen dreamed that this was their way through, and more importantly, that Coldhand showed it to Sam and Gilly rather than, you know, simply escorting them back to the tunnel guarded by Castle Black. In the show, Sam just reads about the, of the Black Gate in a book, since there's no cold hands on HBO. Yeah,
1: HBO, you owe us a giant elk. <laughs> but that's, that does make it confusing, you know, having Sam say that he read it in a book. I actually, when yeah. I was when we were putting some of this together, that's how I remembered it. I it, was it, mm-hmm. like, wait, how did they? And then I'm sure, oh, I just got that from the show.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm sure that happens a lot to some of you guys. It's, you, you see something on the show, and you transpose it with what happened in the books, and it gets all confusing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the Night Fort is the central location for this Central, this crucial crossing of paths, and it's entirely by design. Cold Hands chose this spot, or, or was directed to by whatever is guiding Cold Hands, despite the fact that he cannot cross it. So that's interesting, right? Now, without firm conclusions, we can at least say that any way we look at it, the fact that this ancient magical gateway exists at all is significant. It raises questions like, who built it? Why? Or do or did they need such a gate? Doesn't the so-called magic of the wall already keep out these unwanted types? It keeps out cold hands, right? It is what we're told many times. However, whites can be carried through the wall if they're unanimated or maybe even if they're not. We saw that happen already. And if that's cold hands... A four brother can't pass. That's kind of weird, right? Mm-hmm. The Whites were able to kind of be carried through the Wall, but cold hands can't? I, I'm a, it's a little yeah. confusing.
0: Yeah, Night's King uh, supposedly brought his bride, who was herself either half or fully an other, to the Night Fort. So how did he do that if even cold hands can't pass? Yeah. We might think that the gate was built after the era of Night's King, but this Sam quote contradicts that.
1: A hidden gate, as old as the Wall itself. The Black Gate, he called it
0: he being cold hands which also tells us that cold hands himself is the source for the name black gate his knowledge may indicate that he served at the night fort when among the living perhaps bloodraven the three-eyed crow uh, guided cold hands there as jojen's green dreams did Bloodraven would not likely have used the gate during his tenure at the wall himself, as the night fort was already sealed and out of use for, you know, around a hundred and fifty years when he arrived at Castle Black.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. If if, if Bloodraven led Coldhands there, how did Bloodraven learn about the the Black yeah. Gate? So it's almost like Coldhands is the one who knew about it and maybe went there almost independently, or maybe they teamed up on it. It's 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 curious. Another possibility, though, is that the Black Gate could have been altered somehow after its creation. Recall that the deep tunnels are some of the oldest parts of the Night Fort, if not part of the original design.
0: It's also possible that the Black Gate hasn't been used since ancient times. And, you know, that would explain why no one talks about it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to appear in any of the ancient Night Fort legends. Yeah, we're
1: we'll going to be covering all those legends throughout this episode. And that's one thing we noticed. The oh. Black Gate's never mentioned as part of any of those. So that's, that's pretty telling. This weird magical gate just. No one talks about it. So some have suggested that perhaps the others built the wall. Ooh. <laughs> if you haven't heard that idea before, maybe you need a second. <laughs> After all, why would a huge wall of ice keep out beings mm-hmm. made of ice? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and so if, if that logic is sound, then the Black Gate could have been originally man's way of getting through the wall. It was man's way of getting past the others. But that, enters, that brings up a strange question. Well. Why would... Do you want to go through the wall, <laughs> the, the others are on the other side. Also, curiously, Brand notes that the top of the door, as he passes through the black gate, the the he his head like touches the the Werewood's mouth, and it drips warm liquid on him. Warmth from the tunnel going through the wall—that is bizarre. I
0: think it's pretty clear that the Werewood was drooling like our cats <laughs> drool on us. I mean, pretty clear. It was a pretty happy Werewood face,
2: but.
0: Anyways, uh, but despite all that, I don't think it's a very strong theory. (laughs) I know. It is a complete crackpot. But, I mean, it it does bring up another question, yeah, exactly, of why man would want to get through and why... The others will want to keep them. It's, it's an odd theory to me, but... Um, it's also way
1: out of the scope of this episode to discuss yeah. whether the others actually built the wall, but if you're familiar with that theory at all, even mm-hmm. if you aren't, just consider these possibilities for the, for the black gate and consider that, that that's what it's kind of at least hinting as a possibility. Yeah. Um, we're certainly not endorsing that fully, but you know how we are. We like to throw these ideas out there and you can judge them for yourselves.
0: But to get back onto the major on-topic thing that we're trying to look out for in these ancient stories is... the. Parallels to the main A Song of Ice and Fire storyline Right So
1: our best potential For these parallels Seems to be these stories The tales Of told of the Night Fork Now a lot of A Song of Ice and (laughs) Fire history Song of Ice and Fire history Is colorful (laughs) backdrop but a portion of it is, ironically, not history at all, but or foreshadowing. Yeah, it's fistery. That's the history of fighting. <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> i was thinking of something a lot. A yeah, lot yeah, here yeah this, is,
1: this, is, this podcast is PG-13, but yeah. you all um, got that. <laughs> so, but what we should
0: do is take a close look at the tales told of the knight fort, since these stories are told alongside the Night's King. There, You know, there could be major clues in these other tales, or at least a common thread that we can, uh, you know, learn something from. So, this is part two, The Ancient. Tales.
1: Ancient tales of history. <laughs> <laughs> this was where the rat cook had served the Andal king his prince and bacon pie. Where the 79 sentinels stood their watch. Where brave young Danny Flint had been raped and murdered. This was the castle where King Sherrod had called down his curse on the Andals of old. Where the Prentice boys had faced the thing that came in the night. Where blind Simeon Star Eyes had seen the hellhounds fighting. Mad Axe had once walked these yards and climbed these towers, butchering his brothers in the dark.
0: Well, that's a lot of information right there. <laughs> there point. are eight ancient legends and horror stories that we hear of the Night Fort, appropriately told to us as Night Descends on Bran and Company while in the ruined, you know, octagonal... Uh, kitchen <laughs> sort of a kitchen yeah uh, yeah not really i wouldn't cook there if i if it was me. but uh a werewood is growing here adding to the feel of that scene that the old gods are present and bran himself feels that way well,
1: that's pretty cool eight yeah. stories in an eight-sided kitchen
0: yeah the the old gods just had to one-up the face of the seven apparently <laughs> years right. before even before they even existed no
1: but most of all, most or all of these tales should be familiar. Um, all of these come up at least once or more than once overall. Some of them come up before this story time chapter, we can call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the World of Vice and Fire mentions some of them. Some of them are repeated on the show. So they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they are they're pop up a lot, actually. They're, they're not just passing legends. Uh, of course... The most notable and thorough of examples come from these Bran chapters, though.
0: Yeah, it's a very subtle theme in Bran's arc, I think. I mean, it makes sense. as He's not only the youngest point-of-view character, his, he's the most fantastical character. Yeah. So, you know, the children's bedtime story style starts at Winterfell with Bran in the comfort of bed, listening to old Nan talk about the others, and then more stories come later. You know, from Mira and Jojen while they're traipsing through the north. And then this is when, you know, the tourney at Harrenhal in the Riverlands uh, story comes out. Um, and then finally Bran himself tales the ta- tells the tales of the <laughs> Night's King and other horrors in the very place that they occurred. And then we learn, you know, we learn that this dark mythical figure was apparently Bran's ancestor as well.
1: Mm. By A Dance with Dragons, many of the ancient tales of the north prove true. The actual stories prove true. The children, the others, the power of the Green Seers, skin changers, the Black Gate—whatever we've left to see still. There's got to be more, right? <laughs> so, some of what we've yet to see amongst these stories of the Fort will likewise prove true as well. So, pay close attention. Any of these things could come true in some way. We've numbered them one through eight in, in no particular order.
0: Tale number one is, you know, of course, the Knights King. And now one thing that all eight of the tales have in common is that they all kind of fall under the North Remembers umbrella. I mean, you know, they're really old after all. (laughs) Um, A lot of them have inspired the writing of songs, you know, which also helps to keep them alive. Though, you know, as with all songs, a lot of the details are embellished in the process. Mm -hmm. Lord Wyman even calls for two of the song versions of these tales during the wedding of Ramsay to fake Arya. You know, people say fake on Nose is (laughs) Farya.
1: That's true, Fagon and Faria, yeah. But. <laughs> Should say Faria. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's because we know she's a fake and the not yeah. so sure. Yeah. <laughs> but still, that's a good point. Well, regardless, though, surely a lot of things about the Nightfort have been forgotten. But not these legends, no. they all, Not only they remain, but they are well known, even when attempts are made to make people forget.
0: After his fall, when it was discovered that he had been sacrificing to the others... All records of him were destroyed, and his very name was forbidden.
1: Which is why we call him Night's King, and (laughs) not whatever his real name was. Now, we're talking about him now, and apparently we know a few things, and so do you guys, so it was apparently too juicy a story to be entirely forgotten, despite the uh, suppression of information there. (laughs) Also remembered is that a woman was his downfall, Mm -hmm. and this may be related to why the Night's Watch doesn't take wives, and why they largely avoid women altogether, or at least that's Maybe part of why it's told is a tale, a cautionary tale to the Night's Watch future generations. <laughs> now, Brand's thoughts here on the tale of the Prentice Boys, tale number two, who were haunted by a ghost, they all describe differently, are almost prophetic.
0: There was no thing that comes in the night. Maester Lewin had said so. If there had ever been such a thing, it was gone from the world now, like giants and dragons. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so we should definitely expect a thing that comes in the night, right? <laughs> because if giants and dragons are used as the examples of things that don't exist, well, then yeah. that one is in the same category, apparently. <laughs> but the others come at night. The Night's mm-hmm. King had power at night. It's a familiar concept. Perhaps mm-hmm. it's already there. We already have things that come in the night.
0: <laughs> Moving on to tale number three, we have uh, Danny Flint, who was a girl who disguised herself as a boy to join the Night's Watch. And, I mean, talk about the punishment not fitting the crime. She was, you know, raped and murdered for this. And to make it worse, she, she had to have taken the Night's Watch oath already. And the gods, I don't think, didn't decree that the Night's Watch be male only – as far as we know, so her murder was perhaps an act of treason. I mean, the, the oath does imply men by saying, I shall take no wife and father no children. But hey, that part's just easier for women. <laughs> <Yeah. So. laughs>
1: John knows the story, though Tormund Giant's Bay does not.
0: Her song is sad and pretty. What happened to her wasn't. In some versions of the song, her ghost still walked the night for it.
1: John thinks of her when considering the presence of female hostages, who were supposed to be male, and it makes him think very carefully on how to handle the issue of his men and the wildling women living close together.
0: I'll send the girls to Longbarrow. The only men there were Iron Emmett and Dollarus Ed, both of whom he trusted. That was not something he could say of all his brothers.
1: Yeah, and uh, none of them are in disguise, however, so it's not they're not the best parallels here. These are just a bunch of wildling women. Yeah. An interesting one uh, is far away in the south, however. This is a possibility. Oberyn Martel's daughter, Sorrel Sand, is pretending to be a man, masquerading as Alaris the Sphinx. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a novice who has forged three links of a maesters chain already, and the maesters do not admit women. We can hope she's never found out, <laughs> or if her fate would be anything similar anyway. Although, it's, to me, it doesn't seem like the maesters would be quite that violent. The maesters aren't an order formed from, you know, a lot of former criminals. I think that's mm-hmm. part of what, why Danny Flint's end was so bad, is that her yeah. fellow brothers were, you know, a lot of them were yeah. just ex-rapists and murderers themselves. It was kind of natural. But the Maesters, I think they've just kind of kick her out. I hope they. Yeah, I would, I would right hope that.
0: so too. Although it is an interesting connection that we have. Um, we even have another connection from the wall down to the Sphinx and Maester Eamon saying that the Sphinx is the riddle, not the riddle. You know, not yeah. the Riddler. And so that's a you know, that's a faint connection, but it's another thing connecting her to the wall. It's true. Um, but yeah, hopefully she is only slightly you know parallel to Danny Flint. Um, but so maybe that's not our. Con- our connection, then, you know, maybe Danny Flint of all of them is just a horror story, just a simple horror story. I mean, such such tales of horror, you know, it it really they they frighten children and the <laughs> most superstitious very well. But even those children, you know, when when being frightened, they usually become aware of the true morals in these stories, like real world fairy tales. There's always a moral of the story. Yeah. sometimes a very dark and... <laughs> very bad, bad moral. moral. Yeah, it's not <laughs> a bad moral. Just straight up like, you need to squeeze your feet into these shoes. No, I, I
1: just, or you die.
0: Yeah, or you die. <laughs> or you get raped and murdered if you pretend to be a boy. Yeah, I, yeah I, I'm not sure about the moral of Danny Flint. Yeah, Westeros morals are a lot harsher. <laughs> yeah. But so, embedded in these tales of the Nightfort are the morals of the North.
1: Yeah, you don't get... In our world, if, you, if you're if you naughty, you don't get presents <laughs> <laughs> you're, if you're naughty, you, you die horribly <laughs> yeah. or get haunted. So, such is the case with the Knife Fort itself. Uh, Brand believes these tales, and uh, so do many others. And uh, as far as we're concerned, we need to be considering them as potentially real as well.
0: Yeah. In his text, Justice and Injustice in the North Judgments of the Three Stark Lords, Maester Egbert notes that the crimes in the North in which guest right was violated were rare, but were invariably treated as harshly as the direst of treasons. Mm. Only kinslaying is deemed as sinful as the violations of these laws of hospitality.
1: Now, Maester Egbert says that, and our experience reading the book seems to agree. Kinslaying and violating guest right are about equal, and they're the worst, by far. Worse than normal treasons, like just being a turncloak. So that's, mm-hmm. like, killing your own kin is worse than turning traitor on your lord. Uh, you
0: know what I think is even worse than either of those? What's that? Having a name like Eg- Egbert. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh,
1: he should have gone with his last name, whatever it was. Uh, yeah, whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems to us that Kinslaying and almost kinslaying, really stand out in particular. Night's King himself could be a kinslayer, as he is said to have sacrificed to the others. Mm-hmm. Now, the only other clear example of this is Craster giving up his sons to, also to the others. Now, we can't be sure Craster's case is exactly what's going on with the Night's King. Uh, the others would probably take any baby given to them. Uh, they took Craster's, after all. <laughs> 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 but Night's King rolled over the watch, and they don't have a lot of babies on their own. Night's King had his so-called corpse queen, and she may have given him children. Or maybe he was just giving the others Molestown bastards, if there was a Molestown back then. But there's also the issue of the whole there is power in king's blood quote, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to see how that fits in.
0: It's tale number four, however, that seems to you know best highlight these northern beliefs. And tale number four is the Rat Cook. Mm. This tale um, is probably maybe one of the most well known. I, I, I would say I, so. I would say it's comparably, comparably well known to the Knight's King tale. Um, And it tells of a man who violated guest right and was condemned to eternity as a kinslayer. He was transformed by the gods into a rat and forced to eat his own young over and over. Hmm. Bran himself remembers this lesson and the person who taught it to him when thinking of this story.
1: It was not for murder that the gods cursed him, old Nan said, nor for serving the Andal king, his son, in a pie. A man has a right to vengeance, but he slew a guest beneath his roof, and the that the gods cannot forgive.
0: And so thus there, you know, there are at least three different northern morals embedded in here. Primarily the message that guest right is absolutely sacred and that his eternal punishment involves kinslaying. There's also, you know, the approval of revenge, clearly stated to be a right. Yeah. And yet, invariably, this is a privilege trumped by guest right. And so the rat cook is also a perfect example of legendary history as foreshadowing because We have Wyman Manderley, (laughs) who, though Wyman Manderley cooked the phrase into wedding pies, leading us to think of him, he did not actually violate guest rights. That's right. Lord Walder Frey is the man man whose right to vengeance was used as an excuse for an unforgivable crime.
1: Yeah, it's a bit odd. We have this... tale that kind of plays out two different ways. It's two different storylines that are including like a lot of these lessons from the Rat Cook. The analogy of the rats works pretty well for Walder Frey, too. <laughs> the way he and his family have bred. <laughs> Keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, it's widely been predicted that House Frey will suffer significant infighting, maybe eating itself alive in a way, mm-hmm. when Lord Walder dies. Uh, perhaps the gods will not truly curse Lord Frey, but his children and grandchildren will suffer the curse of the Iron Throne, if not themselves.
0: Note the suggestion of Kyburn.
1: A few frayheads would do much to nullify the North.
0: Lord Walder will never sacrifice his own, said Pycelle.
1: No, mused Cersei, but his heirs may be less squeamish. Lord Walder will soon do us the courtesy of dying, we could hope. What better way for the new lord of the crossing to rid himself of some inconvenient half-brothers, disagreeable cousins, and scheming sisters, than by naming them the culprits? Now, as hosts of this show... We've heard from a lot of different people. We're you know, we, we get feedback and of course we stay on top of what's going on in the world of the Song of Ice and Fire. We can say with full confidence that it's no stretch at all to say that House Frey is the most loathed most loathed house of all <laughs> not just in the fandom, but from the point of view of people living in Westeros. It's they're the most Least popular in the series and the least popular from outside the series. So, the, so that, that makes them pretty good pretty good villains. George wrote them well. <laughs> so the curse is kind of real in that sense, simply because people believe it to be so. Everyone's treating the phrase like their curse, and that Ugh. kind of makes it real in a sense.
0: Yeah. And so, um, moving on, tale number five. We're only on five out of eight. Crazy.
2: <laughs> tale
0: number five is the story of King Sherritt and we're told that he calls a curse down on the andals from the knight fort which is confusing to say the least i mean why is he doing it from all the way up there why not from his own castle king sherret is not likely to have ruled a castle of the knight's watch after all right I mean, the Night's Watch didn't have kings, except for the Night's King. Hmm. Perhaps King Sherrit was a first man who lost his crown in the South to the Andals and was sent to the Wall, still bitter about his overthrow being overthrown, and That's so he possible. cursed them. Yeah. But I don't suppose the curse amounted to much. The Andals are still around. And <laughs> plus, it's pretty arrogant for a guy to think he could curse an entire race.
1: That's a lot of people. Yeah. But what if King Sherrit had a reputation as a dabbler in the Black Arts? Uh, perhaps if enough people heard of the curse, it would have an effect because people believe in things like that and mm-hmm. the, just the belief makes it partially real kind of like in the case of the rat cook so especially since uh one of the two brothers uh rather um if if he if it's all this, this all sounds kind of vague and vast if i was an and all cursed like that i'd probably just sh- shrug my shoulders towards the north and forget about it it doesn't yeah. wouldn't mean much to me um mad Axe, tale number six this is Possibly my favorite.
0: <laughs> I don't think we mentioned any parallels for this one, um, and the only one, only person I can really think of as a parallel is uh, Stannis, up there at the Night hmm, court But it's just this one is a little uh, just like Danny Flint, lacking an exact real parallel.
1: That's a good point. This is something that we hadn't really scripted in here, but uh, that's a, that's a good point that you raised. The the idea that maybe, especially if Stannis kind of loses, if he does poorly, if 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 he's kind of bitter about the fact that he's he believes he deserves to be king and and no one's supporting yeah. him. I could see something like that curse happen. Curse out from, from I wouldn't.
0: The look through lore.
1: Mm, yeah, that's true. Uh, I was going to say, well, who would worry about a Stannis curse? I might worry about a Melisandre curse. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: So, uh, but a whole race. I, he wouldn't be doing a whole race. But, yeah, um, yeah um, maybe not any exact parallels there. But if you that's can think of a parallel one. for King Sherritt, let us know. Yeah,
1: that one was probably the hardest <laughs> to come <laughs> up with anything. Now, okay, so Mad Axe, tale number six. He was a, t- a traitor to his brothers, but not to his blood brothers, rather his sworn brothers of the Night's Watch, whom he silently murdered in the night. This may be kinslaying. It's certainly treasonous. Mm-hmm. It also sounds vaguely like the two whites that rose at Castle Black, the two whites that had been sel- themselves been black brothers, especially since one of the two brothers seems to have killed the other, two wi- the other one with an axe. Mm-hmm. I don't suppose a white cares yeah. much. For being called a Kinslayer, though, (laughs) or Oathbreaker, or anything like that. I don't even think they're capable of offering guest right. (laughs) But in case I'm wrong, don't take bread or salt from a white. (laughs) This is also certainly, this whole thing is certainly evocative of the attack on Jon Snow. That also wasn't silent murder. That was uh, his brother surrounding him, and they're being sneaky. It was silent. They didn't. He didn't. You yeah. know, they, snuck, they, they didn't. He didn't yeah. know their intent, but like a silent murder. intent. that might be a stretch. But, yeah, but it's I good would. to mention. But it's but definitely yeah. any kind of brother on brother violence. Yeah, about betrayal applies.
0: on the wall. So. Yeah,
1: it, it uh, the, definitely fits. A bit. There's
0: also the tale of the 79 Sentinels. Um, that's tale number seven, which is a group of men who deserted the watch. They eventually sought um, sought shelter with Lord Riswell, who was father to one of these deserters. He took them captive immediately. And we assume immediately because the alternative is that guest right was offered. Um, Riswell returned them to the watch and he, he knew that his son would be executed. And he indeed was. <laughs> he and his companions were set inside a hollowed out section of the wall where they froze to death or suffocated. Which, that's a lot worse than like Ned Stark just beheading him. Uh, what a... Yeah. Um, it's almost kinslaying again and this Lord Riswell perhaps felt some guilt over it. And he eventually took the Black himself so that he could stand watch beside his frozen son. But really, I mean, do they ever, do they, I wonder if they ever still kill people like that on the wall.
1: Well, the only, uh, yeah, I uh, have heard I've of heard of that. Heard That's pretty uh, brutal. Like pretty John pretty crazy. When John was going to execute Jano Slint, he, you know, he considered yeah. a noose and, yeah. and he just he, cut his head off. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was then, pretty straightforward. But, then, yeah. but then, I guess different Lord Commanders over the years, they come from different someone places. Someone they just, they have
0: different things the they wall. do. Yeah. It came from like the, the Erie or something.
1: I guess it's pretty in pretty insane torture. though. Seventy nine deserters all at once. That's a lot, it's right? True. Maybe that's maybe that's why they needed to make such an example of them.
0: Yeah, they put them all. as <clears throat> it been hard to just cut 79's heads off or hang? <laughs> like, we don't have of, the rope for this. It's a lot of
1: work. Yeah, yeah. they got to probably got to cut a pretty big chunk out of the wall to fit those guys in there. Yeah. So oh. the, these seventy nine sentinels were traitors by way of desertion. The father torn between. The father, of Lord Riswell, torn between duty and family. One might say Lord Wiswell was trapped. Either way, he's got to, he's either got to choose treason or kinslaying, or is it almost kinslaying? And that's a really important difference, the distinction. What separates the two? Where's that line exactly? Of all people, Victorian Greyjoy yeah. whistles with this question, and he's not even a Northerner.
0: If I do not strike the blow with mine own hand, am I still a kinslayer? Victorian feared no man, but the drowned god's curse gave him pause. If another strikes strikes him down at my command, will his blood still stain my hands?
1: Well, Victoria may be slow. But he's asking a very difficult and important question. This, this technicality is hugely important. It's the difference between, say, did Ruth Bolton violate guest right by helping the Freys to do so, or did he? Is he technically hands clean? Certainly, the enmity between uh, the enmity, rather, they've earned from some Northerners is tied to the Bolton involvement in the wedding. So, even if he's not guilty, he's married to a Frey. <laughs> he keeps Freys in his inner circle and counts Lord Walder as an ally. So. What manner of man counts an accursed family such as them as his friends? Mm-hmm. So Roose is suffering a little bit from that perception-wise, but I don't know if it goes beyond that. So this <laughs> alone has many standing against the Dreadfort.
0: Yeah, I mean, and if there are gods, how do they see it? The opinions of, me, of humans may or probably matter very little in light of where the old gods stand, and it's even more difficult to judge in the case of a supernatural proxy like. Stan is a kinslayer because it was his shadow that slew Renly. Not to mention the fact that he worships a different god entirely. How do we compare with Lore and the old gods? Yeah. Uh, and so when Davos witnesses the birth of the shadow inside Storm's End, he thinks... Oh, he knew that shadow, as he knew the man who'd cast it.
1: And Stan is himself. Note what he relates to Davos here, that it's, and that it's accurate. I dream of it sometimes, of Renly's dying, a green tent, candles, a woman screaming, and blood. Stannis looked down at his hands. I was still abed bed when he died. Your Devon will tell you. He tried to wake me. Dawn was nigh, and my lords were waiting, fretting. I should have been a horse, armored. I knew Renly would attack at break of day. Devon says I thrashed and cried out. But what does it matter? It was a dream. I was in my tent when Renly died, and when I woke, my hands were clean.
0: Sir Davos Seaworth <laughs> could feel his phantom, phantom fingertips start to itch. Something is wrong here, the one-time smuggler thought.
1: In a sense, he was there, or part of him, both times. Davos recognized his face, and Stannis himself remembered in his dreams what his shadow did to Renly. So what we've been calling almost kinslaying, might be hugely different in the eyes of the gods, if there are gods. Though men may be confused, like the carrion <laughs> yeah. as to where it all falls into place. This might be the Westerosi way of getting off on a technicality, meaning Stannis and Bruce and some of these other guys. Mm-hmm. As for the remaining tale, number eight, it's of blind Simeon star eyes seeing hellhounds fight. That's the tale. He yeah. saw Hellhounds fight at the Night Nightfort. That's just fight. weird, he was right? Blind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How does a blind guy see Hellhounds fight? This is just this story is weird, <laughs> and we'll have to let that aspect of the Hellhound thing speak for itself because we don't really know how to. I suppose the closest thing to a Hellhound in the context of a Song of Ice and Fire is a direwolf. But
0: yeah, direwolves are gonna come up
1: the wall yeah and, f- and fight at the night fort yeah. and do battle for our entertainment yeah I, yeah
0: it's true hellhounds i don't know making the dragons too i guess they're not hounds but yeah they're hellish yeah that's true yeah, I
1: some people I, I can see how somebody might see them as hellish but yeah <laughs> set their set them on fire they'd be pretty hellish <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, um, but anyways, the part interesting to us about that, besides the hellhounds, which is, yeah, I don't, you know, a weird creature, um, <laughs> is that his nickname derives from the star sapphires that he supposedly placed into his eyes, and so if you compare that um, to what it links him to, which, let's just let's just have a quote. We'll start with this corpse.
1: His flesh was blanched, white as milk, everywhere but his hands. His hands were black like Jephers'. Blossoms of hard-cracked blood decorated the mortal wounds that covered him like a rash, breast and groin and throat. Yet his eyes were still open. They stared up at the sky, blue as sapphires.
0: And of course, that corpse was brought to the other side of the wall. And later, the corpse rose.
1: The sword laid the intruder open to the bone, taking off half his nose and opening a gash, cheek to cheek, under those eyes. Eyes. Eyes like blue stars burning. John knew that face. Othor, he thought, reeling back. These eyes are such a big deal, George writes it three times in a row. That wasn't me, like, emphasizing Mm -hmm. it or anything. That's how it's written.
0: Yeah. So star eyes is pretty eerily similar to the way the others and the whites are described. We didn't just put you through listening to those gruesome corpse quotes (laughs) for nothing. We're pretty crazy similar. It's
1: all about the eyes. So
0: So here's another one.
1: All of them had pale flesh and black hands. Their eyes glowed like pale blue stars.
0: And even from Sam's perspective.
1: Only its eyes lived. Bright blue, just as John said, they shone like frozen stars.
0: And, of course, in the prologue, the other halted. Will saw its eyes blue, deeper and bluer than any human eyes, a blue that burned like ice.
1: The theme of these intense icy blue eyes, well portrayed in the show as well, is prevalent. On HBO, the main visual cue that the human baby had been transformed was the change to its eyes. Uh, In show and books... Other than Simeon's star eyes, the icy blue star icy blue star sapphire eyes are only attached to others in white. So there's no other place they pop up, so that's a that's a hard connection. That's hard to ignore. So the obvious conclusion is that Simeon's star eyes was another white
2: <laughs> uh, or it, another. But yeah, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. Actually, that we might not be kidding about. It. That might be yeah. that might be the the case. So maybe some sort of good guy other or I mean, Simeon is always portrayed as a hero. He's he's mentioned alongside the likes of Prince Aemon, the Dragon Knight, and Serwin of the Mirror Shield. So if you're thinking maybe that he's like Cold Hands. That's a good good on you for thinking that. But the problem is Cold Hands doesn't have blue eyes either. Marinade on, on that for a minute.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a pretty big mystery to keep in mind. I mean other place that we've seen these eyes, the sky, for one. <laughs> in this ominous constellation. The
1: clouds hid most of the ice dragon. But all the bright blue eye, all but the bright blue eye that marked due north. Yes. And Even the constellations support the others.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most importantly, though, for this episode's topic, the blue star-like eyes are associated with the queen, the bride of our man himself, the knight's King. And this is part three, the knight's King.
1: The legends say that the knight's King was a warrior without fear, and when he saw a woman atop the wall with skin as white as the moon and eyes like blue stars, he chased her and loved her, though her skin was cold as ice. And when he gave his seed to her, he gave his soul as well.
0: Notably, he himself does not have the crazy blue eyes, or at least we don't see that expressed anywhere, unless you count the TV show. <laughs> However, there was no female other on HBO that, we, that was talked about. Not what we saw, um, anyway. <laughs> we saw, or yeah, anything like that. She, you know, his bride, the knight's queen, um, does have the ice blue star eyes and skin like ice. And then something about taking his soul after doing it, <laughs> as it was written in the script. Doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: that's the appropriate way to say it, right? Yeah. But he brought her back to the night fort and proclaimed her a king, and her, himself her king. And with sorceries, he bound his sworn brothers to his will.
0: And so, whoever the knight's king was, he crowned him, was before he crowned himself. You know, it was this, like I said, the knight's queen, who seems to have made it all possible. You, I mean, you know the old saying, behind every successful knight's king is a knight's queen.
1: Oh yeah, if I had a nickel for the time I heard that one, yeah. <laughs> now how tempting is it to think about possible descendants of these two? Hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems like they'd be all be dead, but the curiosity remains, it's possible. Bran hears from old Nan that wildling women lay with others during the long night, creating half-human children. It could be what this could be what Knight's Queen is one of these hybrids that Knight's Queen that he fell in love with. He supposedly chased and caught her, which does sound appropriate for Wilding customs, huh? He stole her, right? That fits. <laughs> but we're told he saw her atop the wall. Now, unless we're back to the theory <laughs> that the others controlled the wall, we're interpreting this as he was at the top and saw her looking down it's worded kind of ambiguously but it could easily be that he found her in a ranging or something yeah. it just it's just loose text there
0: yeah and here's a quote uh for 13 years he ruled until finally the stark of winterfell and jorman of the wildlings had joined to free the watch from bondage
1: wow so the watch was ensorcelled and it took the starks and the king of the wildlings to break the knights king and queen the skeptics would argue that this is a superstitious influence and that the real trouble, or rather, the real truth was probably simpler.
0: Yeah, it seems like there are two main ways that the story can go, two interpretations, depending on how you like to look at things. There's the maesterly, none to low magic version on one hand, and the fantasy version on the other, where the sorcery hmm. mentioned here is very literal.
1: Yeah, we're happy to explore both possibilities and the space in between. But either way, we have to remind ourselves this, that the older the story, the more likely it has changed over time. It's been drift.
0: Okay. So as, as this quote shows The oldest of these tales concern the legendary knight's king The 13th lord commander of the knight's watch who was alleged to have bedded a sorceress Pale as a corpse And declared himself king For 13 years the knight's king and his corpse queen ruled together
1: Now note again that first line of that quote is The oldest of these tales blah 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 So it's a very old story uh, there's no, there's, there's also this curious repetition of the number thirteen that keeps popping up. Everyone's favorite cursed number. Thirteenth <laughs> Lord Commander, thirteen years ruling the watch with his queen. Yeah,
0: yeah. Maybe people got confused and the number got applied to both.
1: That's possible, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: the length of his reign, thirteen years or not, uh, was was ended by an. Epic team Right.
1: King of Winter, Brandon the Breaker, another Brandon the something. uh, Mm -hmm. In in alliance, it is said, with King Beyond the Wall, Joraman brought them down.
0: Now, it sounds really just extremely odd to hear that the Starks and the Wildlings joined forces for anything. And not just because they have been enemies for so long, but, I mean, how did the dialogue even start up between the two parties? Was the Night's King really so awful for everyone, for Wildlings and Starks alike?
1: I guess one possibility is that they didn't actually coordinate their... They just... Both of them were fighting the Night's King, and that just kind of helped. But maybe they weren't actually teamed up, but uh, it's it's, it makes it sound like they worked in concert. So yeah. that's, I wonder how that all came about. Now, we're also told uh, that the castles on the wall have no defenses against the south. It's their, pri- their, their job is to guard from things coming from the north, not the opposite. So there is a strong indication, though, that this was not always the case. In fact, it seems that the Night's King himself was the reason for that policy. To ensure no new knight's king should arise, the castles on the wall are only capable of defending against threats from the north. So before that, though, perhaps the knight fort was a normal castle. Maybe it didn't have this built-in weakness, we'll call it. We certainly need explanations for why it took so much effort for knight's king to be brought down, and this fits pretty nicely. There's also, uh, there are some more details, however, of the fall of Night's King and on Brandon the Breaker. Check this out.
0: Thereafter, he obliterated the Night's King, very name from from memory. Some say because the Night's King was himself a Stark of the same blood as the man who slew him.
1: Wow, that's pretty important. Night's King being a Stark. (laughs) Now, if this is accurate, it... it could make Brandon the Breaker a kinslayer. And that's, of course, the quote indicates that possibility, and that is why he Mm -hmm. maybe tried to cover it up. Regardless of whether it's true or not, he probably endured talk of such, regardless of the truth in that. I mean, kinslaying is such a scandalous thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the rest of the quote by itself raises a number of questions. I mean, the implication that Brandon the Breaker destroyed all records of Knight's King makes sense on one hand and very little on the other.
1: Well, first, as the quote says... Brand, this, this particular Brandon may have been seen as a kinslayer, so suppressing records of that aspect of the story makes obvious sense. No one wants themselves or their family to be seen as kinslayers. Now, in the same vein, as the quote itself alludes, no family would want an apparent evil like this associated with them. So either of those would hold up as reasons on their own. So with both possibilities, it's easy to accept.
0: But second, however, is it... I mean, what does it mean to destroy all records... There was no writing back then, nor would there be for a very long time. And this could be dismissed as, you know, an anachronism on par with those legends that tell of knights long before knights existed, for example. Um... But also, the World of Ice and Fire reveals that many ancient legends are not as ancient as they seem. Sometimes, you know, based on archaeological data or what have you. And so maybe the Night's King is less ancient than we're told. Hmm. The efforts that Brandon the Breaker went through to suppress his existence clearly failed. (laughs) Maybe they just only muddled the details. And perhaps the chronology is one of those muddled details. And even his name is a clue, but I mean, which kind of clue? (laughs) <laughs> the Night's King seems to refer to Night's Watch, right? But we might not want to assume that. I mean, what do all incidences of the Others appearing on screen have in common?
1: Well, there's probably more than one correct answer to that question. <laughs> but the one we're actually looking for is that they only come at night. So that's the conundrum here. Every single encounter with the Others or animated whites comes at night. Sometimes it's like they can't wait for the sun to go down. <laughs> <laughs> with, when Brandon and his gang are attacked just outside the cave of the Three-Eyed Crow, the sun's light has just faded from the sky. So I guess they needed to get there a little bit earlier to avoid that <laughs> incident. This holds true even when applied to the TV show, as I said. I don't think we can be certain the slow- showrunners caught this on their own. I suspect George R. R. pointed out that this was an important detail that they had to keep including.
0: Mm-hmm. By the way, just now, when we said animated whites, um, it was because dead brothers, you know, J for Flowers and Othor, rose as not whites, but they did, they did so at night as well. But during the day, they were blue-eyed corpses. The blue eyes meant that they had already, you know, been taken over or hmm. changed whatever or whatever um, whatever you want to call it but they were dormant um, perhaps because it was day or because of some sort of intelligent plan uh, the dogs and horses were afraid of the corpse already and the people were spooked as well
1: yeah so this thing was had clearly already happened some sort of transformation had already happened but when those corpses rose yeah it was at night and they had specific targets in mind the Lord commander and the first Ranger they, and they they killed the latter and thanks mm-hmm. to ghost John prevented the former so, it's it's kind of... A, it's definitely curious. Now, the same aspect of the Others and Whites seems to apply to Night's King as well, as Bran recalls.
0: Night's King was only a man by light of day, old Nan would always say. But the... But the Night... Was his to rule, and it's getting dark. That rhyme threw me off. I wasn't.
1: Night King the only man alive by day. An old man would always say. I yeah. didn't even realize that. Rhyme. But, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it's interesting too because. So you, what do you know? What do we have here? Is he? Is it the Nights Watch reference? Is that why he's Nights King, King of the Nights Watch, or is he King of Nights, or is it just both? Yeah. It, they both fit. So uh, his name is perfect. <laughs> if he was sacrificing to the others after the wall was built, which. He must have been if he was the 13th Lord Commander. The, supposedly, there was no Night's Watch until after the the Long Night, right? Okay. That's awfully simple. <laughs> or not, no. Well, this would s- at least semi-confirm that the Others have existed since they were defeated at the end of the Long Night, meaning sort of what we're told is the Others come in the Long Night and they haven't been seen since until the beginning of the story. Well, that clearly is contradicted by this. If if he's sacrificing to them and someone like Craster maybe is sacrificing to them, what does that what does that mean? What does it mean to sacrifice to the Others when they're powerless or weaker on power. Is is this his way of trying to bring them back or a way to keep them at bay? Or, you know, to make them stronger? It's hard to say. Now, his connection to Knight itself and the Knight's Queen, not Craster, Knight's King, (laughs) are part of this range of reasons to associate him with the Others. Uh, Now, so the idea could be that the Others had control over the Knight's Watch in a semi-direct way like this, which is kind of hard to comprehend. It's weird to think about the Others, like, controlling the Knight's Watch, like, as behind the scenes. Uh, This doesn't feel right, but it's possible.
0: Yeah. Uh, The skeptical version of the story, story number two, is (laughs) is supported by a pretty interesting possibility um, with this quote. Some suggest that perhaps the corpse queen was a woman of the Barrowlands, a daughter of the Barrow King. Now, Barrowton is a pretty strong power in the north, and in the days when there were many kingdoms in the north, an alliance like that might have been really powerful. And it could help explain why the Starks needed help. I mean, in ancient times, it took took the Starks uh, at least 200 and perhaps 1,000 years to compel the Barrow Kings to submit to Winterfell. Yeah, they were powerful. It's pretty powerful. So, Knight's King may have nothing to do with the power over Knight, um, or, or it might not mean to imply... Uh, implies some sort of darkness surrounding him it yeah. could just mean king of the knight's watch in abbreviation he and the Barrowlands joined forces through the Barrow queen and were a very powerful combination it yeah,
1: could have been that yeah. no, no nothing
0: no, magical there it just got yeah turned into something else crazy just
1: people told the stories and it, they you know people like to embellish and it became over thousands of years of telling people added these magical details here and there the name knight's king makes it sound like something's going on like that yeah. but it, there's no necessarily is no reason to 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 believe that that's absolutely true. Now, this aggression, of course, will not stand. It is very much against the vows. I will hold no titles, etc. Remember, so knight's king. He either way, whether he was a you know a fantastical sorcerer king or a guy who carved out his own kingdom from the from the Night's Watch. Either way, he was. You know, he was breaking the rules. <laughs> so it's a possibility that creates more possibilities. The idea that nice king influenced the vows by setting some so-called bad standards. We've gone over a few of those already. The change in the way the castles are done, uh, possibly impacting the vows, fathering no children, holding no titles, seeking no glory, etc. Mm. right? They didn't necessarily get it all right the first time when they drafted the rules. You can't mm. imagine, like, that's, that's not perfect. You can't, you, you can't write some sort of... Amazing perfect uh, set of yeah. rules that you can, that covers every possibility that you haven 't even foreseen, so uh, there's definitely some room for some of these things to be changed, especially since those rules clearly weren't written down back then. There was yeah, no writing. That's so true. The and rules so, were all just kind of the spirit of the rules what mattered, I think.
0: Yeah, amendments might have occurred, and they yeah. added this after the knight's King. or something. It wasn't against the rules then, but they realized it was a problem. Or not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or not. <laughs> yeah, more directly referenced in the legend is a pretty central, recurring theme, and though it, I guess maybe it's easy to miss. Um, just so, the yeah. idea that love is the death of duty, and vice versa, which is, you know, presented to us by Maester Amon. The Knights king broke his vows and turned on his brothers that's really what it comes down yeah, to for love and mm-hmm. we're supposed to believe that a woman was his downfall you know such with the potency of his feelings for her but it seems more to me like he was probably doing plenty to cause his own downfall. I mean, she probably surely isn't innocent either. Right. Um, we
1: just don't, I, you know, we just, it's this common trope in fantasy and real life to, to blame the, the evil woman. You <laughs> know, but <laughs> The evil seductress. It seems like they were in concert together yeah. here. It doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> but this theme is seen before all of our literature. Fiction in general, it's just everywhere. And in *The Song of Ice and Fire, too. Not just here. Doomed love. Love across cultures. Cultures generally unacceptable to each other, or to either culture, and the like. That kind of Trail thing.
0: tale of another and a human. Yeah, yeah. so sad.
1: <laughs> now, we haven't seen nearly as much of that paired up with sacrifice to strange and probably malevolent creatures of ice and mist. But hey, the Starks have given a lot of their children to the Watch. Isn't that kind of the same thing?
2: <laughs> Maybe
1: the kids who became White Walkers have a better life than the kids given to the Wall. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> the White Walkers are actually really happy, really probably well-adjusted to their clothes. Warmer,
0: clothing. yeah, well-adjusted <laughs> to the calls yeah. Uh, but what do we have then after all this? I mean, is it is it the case of a rogue Lord Commander who tried to carve out a kingdom with powerful allies, or is it a tale of a sorcerer king who mated with the others and controlled the minds of his fellow brothers in arms?
1: Ultimately, I guess we can't know right now. Maybe George will reveal the answer to us. I don't think we ever will know for sure, mm-hmm. but it really is fun to come up with the possibilities and potentials. Now, since George R. R. Martin only so- shows us things through point-of-view chapters, yeah, there's no easy opportunity to show us this or to give us more on this topic. It's all an ancient past. Even Bran, like seeing through the Weirwood Network, might have a hard time looking back specifically these thousands of years to see that some sort of specific event. But hey, that could happen too. But there's the scene in season four, episode four, which is not possible in the books at all. There's no point of view character in the lands beyond, uh, land of always winter, at least not yet. <laughs> uh, so there's no way to witness The scene. The scene I'm talking about, of course, is the one where the walker picks up Craster's newborn child, left by Rast, because Craster's dead by then.
0: Mm -hmm. And the other rides north. He rides really north, past frozen lakes, mountains, everything. The scene just goes on a bit longer than usual to really give a sense of just how much of a wasteland this extreme north is. But there's something there, and it looks like a frozen city. The writer delivers the child to an altar where 13 figures can be seen in the distance. One approaches, and we get a look at him. He doesn't really look like the other others. He's got, like, these spikes on his head. Yeah, he looks, his
1: face is more, (laughs) like, clean or whatever. Yeah, and
0: he soon touches the child, and he turns the child's eyes blue. And now the kicker to this scene, though, is that HBO leaked some details about the scene, the major one being that they refer to this leader, Other, as the Night's King. And this was... (laughs) <laughs> supposedly an error, but they never clarified what the error was. It could easily be that they didn't mean to release that character's name, or it could be that the leader other is not the knight's King. After all, it was a weird mistake by, by some person working at HBO.
1: Yeah, so now you see why we're involving this, this mixing book canon and show canon. With a, with a detail like that, that's just like, whoa. This guy is supposedly knight's King uh-huh. that we've seen on screen on TV? Mm-hmm. What the heck? Yeah. He had these weird horns that were yeah, kind of like, people weird. sort of described them like crown-like. Yeah, but
0: I, I feel like it's more likely that at the third the fact that there was 13 is weird, too, to me. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know what I think. I, I go back and forth between thinking that they know something or that it was a weird, weird thing.
1: Yeah, one thing, Um, that another weird word, number that... Thirteen comes up as the last hero. He has apparently went north with 12 companions, so that his party was 13, and yeah. they apparently all died and vanished, and only he found the children of the forest. That sounds more like Bran, except for Bran didn't really lose anyone along the way. Well, in the show he did.
2: in yeah, the show he did. But,
1: but he did. <laughs> and the elk. They lost the elk. In, the, in the, <laughs> the book they lost the elk. Poor elk. And maybe they yeah. lost cold hands. But, but in the in the show, so that show scene, we've seen nothing like that in the book, so we can't fully trust it, even though there's, like, I, like we've said, there's good reasons to consider it as a possibility. But, but perhaps but perhaps we can't trust it at all. So that said, there's some good reasons to do just that. In terms of the important details regarding the nature of the others, I'm somewhat doubtful that the show will go too far even though they've twisted a lot of other things. I don't think they're going to just completely change something that's that central. Something that fundamental. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Now, to they can fair. do things like change the appearance yeah, of the others. Yeah, to be fair,
0: that does do a lot to ha- how our perception of the others are. Just I along your right. It yeah. has. I, I, I find it hard to picture the actual depiction of the others. I see those creepy White Walkers, and it, it kind of has skewed my opinion of them as being so inhuman
1: oh, yeah. because of that. Yeah.
0: But uh, they, they still look kind of vaguely human, even in the show, but... Yeah,
1: I mean, it's like would they fundamentally change dragons or brands powers? I mean, yeah. they might, but it, it, it
0: wouldn't be so crazy if they gave the dragons four legs on the show instead of two legs. Like that's true. The that ones, wouldn't you know, be crazy. That, that's, that's more like of a cosmetic. Kind of, that's a appearance thing, yeah. thing, but that would be you know less crazy to me than them doing what they did to the others. Yeah, because okay. like it's a pretty pretty big difference. Yeah, between it how really they is. look. That's true. Um, so that
1: doesn't have to be convincing, but at least it should give some credibility. So if you insist on believing nothing from the show, well, we're not going to argue with that. We won't argue with that at all. That's. Entirely possible that the show has nothing to do with what's going to happen in the books, but some of those things are going to turn out to be parallel. And you can maintain that we haven't seen Night's King because of that, or that this ritual that we saw isn't a reflection of how it works. But if you think we haven't seen The Lands of Always Winter in the books, now that, think again. Part 4, The Lands of Always Winter.
0: Finally, he looked north. He saw the wall shining like blue crystal, and his bastard brother John sleeping alone in a cold bed his skin growing pale and hard as the memory of all warmth warmth fled from him. And he looked past the wall, past endless forests cloaked in snow, past the frozen shore and the great blue-white rivers of ice and the dead plains where nothing grew or lived.
1: So this is Bran's third chapter of the entire series, in book one, of course. Uh, so, again, it's kind of one of those things. It's not exactly the, the, the parallel to the whole thing that we like to say, the whole mm-hmm. they give us the answer. George gives us the answer before he gives us the riddle. But it's kind of like that. We're not really familiar with what's happening in the story, and this is the only glimpse of the lands of a voice winner, and it's in Brand's dream really early in the book. So, yet another reason why rereading the series is so valuable <laughs> and awesome. It's a whole other story each time. So, at this point, we've just, at, at the point of this this chapter, of this dream, We've just recently seen the others in the prologue. So they're not only fresh in our mind, but at the point when you're a first-time reader, this is all you've got. You've only got these few chapters you've read. So these ice demons that you've seen in the prologue are still fresh in your mind. Uh You're thinking you're going to see a lot of them. You don't realize that you won't see them again for a while. Uh (laughs) Especially as there's little else going on in the story at that point. All you've got is... You know, the king showing up and Bran falling and there's like, who are these Lannisters and all that? And you've got like a Danny chapter. There's not much else going on. It's not a sprawling epic yet. So this information at that point, your own perception, reading it the first time, it's it's very important.
0: Mm-hmm. And additionally, this description in the dream sounds a lot like what we saw on the show. It does. Uh, you know, as the rider carried off the baby, we saw a lot of different landscapes, including a frozen lake or river and a frozen waterfall. And we certainly saw the dead... F- plains where nothing grew or lived
1: now john growing pale and hard as the memory of all warmth fled from him that's an interesting part of that dream it sounds a bit like he's turning to ice himself but, but it, it perhaps is more likely a metaphor for his death uh his quote-unquote death whatever however that turns out or whatever form his character takes if he's resurrected slash animated mm-hmm. now brand's death uh brand's death no brand's dream continues here
0: north and north and north he looked to the curtain of light at the end of the world and then beyond that curtain he looked deep into the heart of winter and then he cried out afraid and the the heat of his tears burned on his cheeks and so th- so this place is so cold and <laughs> makes him so cold with it that his tears feel as if they're extremely hot. Mm. But more por- more importantly, the heart of winter was terrifying to Bran.
1: Now you know, the crow whispered as it sat on his shoulder. Now you know why you must live.
0: Why, Bran said, not understanding, falling, falling.
1: Because winter is coming. And remember, that raven speaking to him, that's blood raven. That's the three-eyed yeah. crow. Keep that in mind.
0: And so the straightforward interpretation says that they are becoming active, that they are on their way. And there are a lot of different theories as to the nature of the Others in winter and the seasons and all that. But we can't really raise nearly all the, all the possibilities on an episode on the Night's King.
1: Yeah, we, even, even though we like to go on tangents, that's just too much. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we've, we've seen the Others bring winter, in a sense, with them. It gets incredibly cold when they're nearby. Seems pretty straightforward, I suppose. Mm -hmm. The TV show distorts this a bit by leaving us with an image of dismembered bodies arranged in a specific way in that prologue. This might make a few of us forget that in the book, it seems to be some sort of pure localized cold that killed these wildlings. They were frozen to death. And it's heavily but subtly confirmed that it was the cold of the others, not some sort of overnight chill. Sir Waymar Royce, despite his arrogance and his naivete, he really noticed something that was important, which was that... The weather was too warm for such a thing. The wall he described was was bleeding, not bleeding or crying rather, which <laughs> is when the, or weeping, you know, when the wall is melting drooling. slightly. <laughs> the wall is drooling. So in this context, it seems that the 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 winter is coming refers to the white walkers as a threat on their way, gaining power, the singings changing in their favor or whatever it is. We don't know the, we don't know exactly obviously. But yeah, something along those a general lines. general
0: tone of that. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, the general tone exactly. So are those so are these sacrifices a key part of their returning strength? It would be funny if Craster, like, by himself,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by himself. triggered yeah. the
1: return of the others by, like, oh, what if I just do this, you know? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> he lives his male sons out just because he wants no other men around, yeah. right? No, no. And instead of disposing of a child, he creates a white walker. And then acts like he's doing it to please the gods. No, no, he, he probably knew what he was doing. Uh, and, and apparently, as we covered in another episode, it seems like he, he came from a place where it seems to be something passed down to him. His mother apparently... Maybe we uh, some sacrificing, and the village should
0: have sacrificed him. Apparently, the
1: village he came from, White Tree, there was there was evidence of human sacrifice there, even as even when John and, and the old Baron and the rest of the party passed through there. But I think that this that any conclusion like this is premature. A good possibility, perhaps, but we can't go any farther. I thought
0: than you that. said Baron at first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what <well>, Baron? <laughs>
1: <laughs> After all, even the world of Ice and Fire, which is from a skeptic skeptical maesterly perspective, mm. implies the existence. Of such beliefs.
0: Um, some accounts say that there are those who worship different gods, dark gods beneath the ground in the Frost Fang, gods of snow and ice on the frozen shore.
1: Now, Night's King was also said to be sacrificing to the others, as we've pointed out a few times. Though, if the portrayal of him in the show is any indication, he is an other. Perhaps he was not always one, though. So, let, let's not assume the being who changed the baby into another White Walker that we are assuming is Night's King. This HBO slip-up could be the wrong kind of slip-up after all, as we've said. It could be they just put the wrong title on this guy. That's, it's kind of hard to figure out how they would have done that, but again, it's possible. They
0: meant White's King. <laughs>
1: White's King. But if not, well then, wow. We might have actually seen the other's home base on the TV yeah. show. And there were 12 figures standing behind this figure on TV, so 13 total. Uh,
0: here's a quote. Uh, Bran looked at the crow on his shoulder, and the crow looked back. It had three eyes, and the third eye was full of a terrible knowledge. Bran looked down. There was nothing below him now but snow and cold and death. A frozen wasteland where jagged blue-white spires of ice waited to embrace him. They flew up at him like spears. He saw the bones of a thousand other dreamers impaled upon their points.
1: This is vaguely reminiscent of the ice altar we see in the show. The ice, the spires and all that. Ice waiting to embrace, like... Mm. being changed into a creature of ice, that kind of thing. The dreamers, impaled on their points, could be those who have been made into white walkers. Yeah. But no, eh, probably not. These are just dreamers he sees. He's a greenseer, not some ordinary child. Yeah. It does make me wonder if anything special happens to a baby with greenseer blood. They're the tr- what if oh, a <laughs> yeah. like green-eyed or red-eyed kid and they touch him and his eyes turn blue instead? What is it? Maybe yeah, one green, true. one blue. That would be <laughs> That's what Chiara Seastar Star is. She's a green seer <laughs> who's half other. <laughs> in case you didn't know, Chiara yeah. Seastar Star has one green eye, one blue eye.
0: Yeah, we didn't actually mention her at all. She does. She does, She also does make me bring some comparisons to the Night's Queen. I have to say a little bit.
1: Well, I guess so. A little well, just bit.
0: Some slight comparisons, especially yeah. with the, with Bloodraven having been interested in him that's being true. tied to it. Yeah, that's but uh, we just—I <laughs> I just realized we never talked about her—not once. <laughs> um, but, anyways, um, on to this quote. He was desperately afraid. Can a man still be brave if he's afraid? He heard his own voice saying, small and far away.
1: And his father's voice replied to him, That is the only time a man can be brave.
0: And we didn't really need to quote that part at the end of the dream, <laughs> but it's a classic quote. <laughs> it, it, made it, it, it makes yes. me think, and Aziz think, of a thing said of the knight's King, that he was a warrior who knew no fear, and that was the fault in him, for all men must know fear. And so, as we remind ourselves of the main storyline... It's a good time to check in there. How does the Night's King legend relate to our favorite characters? What does this tell us about their futures? So we're going to move on to part five, the new Night's King.
1: Hmm. Now we said it before, and we're going to keep saying it. If George R. R. Martin throws out a detail, it might mean something. But if he throws out the same detail twice, it almost certainly means something. Night's King comes up too many times to not be significant. There's something to his legend and or surrounding story we're likely to see directly or indirectly in the main story. But just as Knight's King has been mentioned several times, so have a lot of the Knights' Fort legends.
0: But perhaps we will actually see an actual new Knight's King of sorts. Maybe we can figure it out by seeing who best fits the descriptions.
1: All right, so let's start off with a list of the possible candidates. It's a little bit mind blowing. Get ready, brace yourself. Put down your coffee. Um, don't uh, you know? Don't be holding your baby either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's John holding their baby. Everyone's everyone's it's very common for our listeners to hold their baby while they listen to uh, our podcast. Uh, yeah. didn't you know that? <laughs> no, the list of candidates though, here it is. Jon Snow, Stannis Baratheon, Bruce Bolton, Bran Stark, Benjamin Stark, and Cold Hands. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, we'll give you a second to recover <laughs> from that shocking list.
0: Yeah, some of those are pretty really Thin, and crackpot, yeah, tinfoil, whatever you want to call it. Um, they're fun to think about, and it makes that makes it worthwhile. Um, some of them have quite a few eerie similarities, but regardless, all of them have some some slight parallels, and it's just good to, just, to think about good that. to
1: cover all the bases, yeah. We don't want to leave anything out. Because the Night's King ruled the Night's Watch and was a Stark, Jon Snow has several surface similarities of note right there he certainly started to take the watch in a controversial direction, not necessarily the same as conquering them and, you know, and sorcering them or whatever, but maybe through the over time, that's what it would have been seen like uh, by, you know, by history. History could have seen it that way. Um, Interestingly, John parallels Brandon the Breaker in a way, rather than Night's King, by befriending the Wildlings to fight a common enemy. He was probably the first guy to do that in a long time, Uh, but now he's dead kind of uh and he's a potential return to life makes him a kind of a cool choice for some sort of misunderstood hero or dark anti-hero or whatever so could john like you know join the others somehow or something along those lines or could he be forced to bring bran down that would be the brother of his that or the other way around bran brings him down maybe regardless one of the qualifications for knights Kingitude seems to be you have to have a knight's queen i suppose so who would that be
0: I'm gonna call it and say that John is Knight's Queen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay,
0: that's my that's my call. No, but Val has blue eyes, dresses in all white. Mm-hmm. John finds her alluring. She's the equivalent of a princess, but we don't really have much else there. Not yeah. a, not a lot. Not it might just, be a dead end. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty <laughs> dead end. Um, the so so called corpse queen had extremely white skin, magical abilities power over a king I, I, does this remind you of, at all of milhundra I think it does but going back to Snow's Knights queen I think he's Stannis' Knight's <laughs> queen he's got magical abilities power hmm. over a king no interesting <laughs> <He's dying. laughs> no. I, I do see some similarities between him and Nights queen and Knight's yeah. King he well, could be them both together. it
1: doesn't yeah you don't we don't have to imagine that they're married or no. you know it doesn't have to yeah. be that kind of relationship but
0: yeah uh, um,
1: but it, it does remind me of Mal- it does remind me of Melisandre for many reasons. Uh, this that, that quote or that, that not that quote, but that uh, those those, those uh, details. Mm-hmm. She had been slowly realizing Jon Snow was in her vision, not Stannis. She was able to trick Ghost. It seems. Does that, that indicate that she has power over Jon or could have power over Jon? Eh, maybe. Uh, further similarities exist when you take into account that she might be ancient, possibly undead herself. She doesn't need food or water or sleep. Not typical traits for things that are alive <laughs> or human. <laughs> a corpse queen indeed, in a way. That's In a lot of ways, that kind of makes her like a corpse queen, almost literally. Uh, <laughs> and she in, certainly has convinced some people of some things. Uh, you know.
0: <laughs> the war has been waged since time began, and before it is done, all men must choose where they will stand. On one side is Relor, the lord of light, the heart of fire, the god of flame and shadow. Against him stands the Great Other, whose name may not be spoken, the Lord of Darkness, the Soul of Ice, the God of Night and Terror.
1: Well, with opinions like that, uh, well, actually, a lot of people did buy into it, as crazy as it sounds. <laughs> so that could be considered the ensorcering of minds, and sorceling of minds... Especially through the haze of passing eons, right? Uh, It could look that way many years later. She's also made human sacrifices, which, you know, that kind of lines a bit with the, uh, with the others, or with the Knight's Queen slash uh, Knight's King stories that we've heard. Now, another scary thought about Melisandre though, perhaps she doesn't realize that her God is the evil one or that her God is just as bad or uncaring. Maybe her magic will destroy the wall. There's been a lot of theories out there that the wall will come down and Melisandre is associated with a lot of those possibilities. Or she may be, she may be, maybe the <laughs> other woman to Stannis's Knight's King. That kind of more of a direct parallel. Yeah. I've had some great uh, pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, she episode, may be bay. Kind of <laughs> I
0: think that's what you said. She may be bay.
1: She may be bay. Yeah. Fisting. Ah. Uh, yeah. Fistery. <laughs> Fistery. Yes. Yeah, this is, this is important. Fistory. Um.
0: Yeah. But uh, anyways, back to Melisandre. <laughs> Though her skin is pale, her eyes are not sapphires or icy blue. They're red. They're really red. And she is anything but cold to the touch. She's really hot. So, you know, in a lot of ways, she's the opposite of the corpse queen. And if we we imagine the inverse of her, we might be dead center, you know. Um, That said, Melisandre's glamored. Nothing may be as it seems. Her eyes may be very blue, she may be cold to the touch without her little glamour going on. Yeah,
1: we don't really know what she looks yeah. like. And it's it's almost like she's the exact opposite of this description in, in yeah. that way, except for the pale skin. Yeah, except so for the pale skin. You got yeah. red instead of blue, you got heat instead of warmth. Yeah. It's like she's like the opposite or something. Yeah. But, uh, except for the pale
0: skin. Yeah, except for the pale skin. black and then
1: hmm. true opposite. Yeah. <laughs> That makes more sense yeah, if she's like burned black like, a, like, like Makoro. Like Makoro, yeah. Like yeah. We'll, it
0: would be more of an active Makoro. That's true. That'd be cool. Now, but.
1: another connection again to Melisandre. Uh, John's path to life again maybe through the same magic that brought back Catelyn and Lord Beric Dondarrion. Will she, will she have undue control over him? Well, it, probably not though. It doesn't seem like Thoros was able to like make Beric do things and certainly he's not controlling Catelyn. So, mm-hmm. I guess not. But Melisandre is very manipulative and charismatic and, and convincing and all that. And she's focused... Intently on a goal that she thinks she understands, but mm-hmm. we readers know that she's made some pretty big mistakes, so she doesn't fully understand what she's doing. But she's clearly had strong influence on just about anyone that's come into her path. She is just really, really dominating personality. Um, Stannis, of course, the main player in that game, and, yeah, uh, he get, he domin- gets dominated too a bit.
0: Yeah, and so of course, you know, King Stannis is a compelling parallel to the Night's King. Yeah. In Daenerys' vision at the House of the Undying, she sees. Glowing like sunset, a red sword was raised in the hand of a blue-eyed king who cast no shadow. I mean, that's clearly Stannish, right? Yeah. I mean, that he cast no shadow seems to refer to his role in fathering two shadow babies, stripping him of his strength.
1: That's right. His shadows are gone. That's why he doesn't cast one. No. Is the brave Sir Onion so frightened of a passing shadow? Take heart, then. Shadows only live when given birth by light, and the, and the king's fires burn so low I dare not draw off any more to make another son. It might well kill him, Melody. Alessandra moved closer With another man, though A man whose flames still burn hot and high If you truly wish to serve your king's cause Come to my chamber one night I could give you pleasure such as you have never known And with your light fire I could make
0: A horror Davos retreated from her
1: Is this the kind of power knight's queen wield? Wielded? It sounds familiar. The quotes from the from the legends tell she took his soul, which he gave her his seed too. That's like a yeah. perfect parallel right there. Stannis is impacted severely by sleeping with Melisandre. Davos sees him and he's like look he looks older, looks weaker, and then Melisandre flat out says so. So yeah. that's a big, big parallel there. And recall the dreams about Redley's death. That was only the first shadow. And doesn't that raise an interesting question? So he, he has those dreams about that sh- about that shadow of being in Renly's tent. Does he also have dreams about the other event? Does he have dreams about throwing Courtney Penrose out the window? Mm-hmm. Regardless, he handles it. He's he's yeah. after all he's Stannis. Yeah.
0: Stannis Baratheon was a man of iron will who neither understood nor forgave weakness in others.
1: Reminds me a bit uh, of a line about Night's King again that we've touched on a few times.
0: A warrior who knew no fear, and that was the fault in him. For all men must know fear.
1: Man who knows no fear also does not know what it means to be brave. It's just, it's all the same. (laughs) Such a person has nothing to overcome, after all. It's all, there's nothing to worry about. And so this this kind of person wouldn't understand the weaknesses of common men. It's kind of similar to Stannis in that regard. So he's declared...
0: I would say I feel like Stannis does. We, we do see even when we hear, see him thinking about the death of Renly, I see that we see that maybe that that, that that the the thought of him as a man of iron will, you know, is in a full picture of him. That we do see that side of him as well.
1: Yeah, he he, he, he does
0: fear something.
1: He's more flexible than he seems. Yeah, he, he is do, rigid. We but talked but
0: about that. Yeah, in yeah, wit and wisdom episode.
1: That's true. But anyway, um, she he's declared his seat to be the Nightfort. He's an actual king. He's got the Night's Watch, kind of under his control, you know, yeah. not like, not directly, not like giving them orders, but we saw how yeah. he kind of bullied them around a bit.
0: But, conversely, he's firmly against the others, staunchly on the side of mankind. I mean, or so he thinks. Uh, so we so, think. Yeah, so we think. <laughs> no, uh, that seems pretty clear, yeah. Yeah. Something important would have to change, or... It, could it be that the Night's King was a good man, but, like Stannis, just not loved? A man mm-hmm. who did what he had to do, who earned respect but hate at the same time.
1: Yeah, it could just be the way the stories are told about it and make him seem so bad. Mm-hmm. Talk of Night's King was silenced, after all, but the truth could have been something else than what has come down to us after so long. History is written by the winners, after all, and Night's King didn't win. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if we're to witness Stannis turn to Night's King-style arcs, something along those lines, it could be in response to his sort of Ends justify the means style pragmatism. Although there are some invitation, some in indication that he's kind of changed his his uh, his attitude in that regard. But it still could be the way he goes. It could serve to show us the path the true knight's king took, doing what had to be done, believing what doing what he believed was right, but using dark magic for justice and to win if need be, and justify the means once again. If he loses the battle of ice and survives somehow, as unlikely as that is, he could become desperate. Now, such desperation could be a turning point for him. He could be willing to take extreme measures.
0: And if not Stannis, perhaps another great power in the North is our parallel to the Night's King. I mean, regardless of of whether we think that he's going to be an actual Night's King or anything like that, Stannis is clearly a parallel. Like, he clearly has lots of similarities, but so do other characters. Other characters also are evocative of the themes presented in the Night's King tale. Um, But if we steer towards the more skeptical Night's King interpretations, Roose Bolton could fit with Lady Dustin of Barrowton as his so-called Corpse Queen, or the Bar- Barrow King's daughter. Right. Um, Theon even flatters her by mentioning her potential to be such, and she in turn mentions Roose as a new king in the north. Dreadfort instead of knightfort, I suppose. <laughs> he gives up his fray wife and their child together, perhaps as a sacrifice? No, that's, that's out there. But he does have reason to go to the Wall, at least, to clean up Stannis's people and a few other things.
1: Yeah, so Roose is definitely a possibility. Uh, it may be a thin possibility, yeah. but worth considering. He's he's got you know is one of the few people in the north that has the level of power that you could uh, equate with the same sort of power.
0: Yeah, and he's got an alliance with the Barrowlands. Yeah, yeah, so. it, it's,
1: it's there are definitely some good good comparisons there. Uh, as for Bran, well, Bran he's a Stark check power of the old gods check. Has a dark sorcerer beside him? Check. Another kind of non-queen queen. Yeah. There. <laughs> Who says knight's queen has to be a woman or even a bride? Yeah. Marry a tree instead. <laughs> he doesn't have to do any. He doesn't have anything to do with knights. Watch though. At this point, mm-hmm. like he's met Sam. That's, yeah. You know, uh, uh, he may have power to take over people's minds. He did it with Hodor, um, yes. he's getting more powerful. He's also living in com- near complete darkness. Was kind of neat. He's like yeah. all this power living in the darkness. It's, yeah. it's sort of there. Benjamin Benjamin's another possibility. Uh, but not another pretty thin one. He is a Stark of Winterfell. He's disappeared. He's a brother. He's a Night's Watchman. That, that part uh, is relevant. And some people think he's cold hands.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't really think that. Mm-hmm. Uh. No, I it doesn't there's a good we don't we can't get into that too much. That's yeah. a whole other topic. But
0: I don't think it's crazy people it, who yeah, think hold hands. I think it's a strong possibility. I know My me personally, I I, I kind of hope that we just never see more of Benjamin that that's just sometimes things just end. Sometimes there's no resolution, someone dies out, but we'll, we'll probably maybe get some resolution. Well at least maybe there. find a out. A lot of, of people would be really upset if we didn't find out anything about Benjamin. Yeah. Myself, I would be very pleased.
1: Huh. That's cool. Uh, uh, I don't think I've heard that before. That's neat. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of like, I kind of like that though because yeah, it's just like well, we just never found yeah, out. Yeah,
0: it's a big beyond the wall. Like, who, who knew? Yeah. He, he attacked some people as a white, and then he was killed and burned. You know, yeah. whatever. I,
1: we we saw the yeah. other the, the other members of his party were dead. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, anyways. Um. So,
1: uh, but he. So really, the thing with Benjamin is just that we don't know where he is, what he's God. doing, and so. There's random he mystery in the north other random mystery in the north maybe they're connected somehow yeah. so there's really not a lot to go there but maybe he comes back as somebody maybe he's the new Simeon Star Eyes mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but really where is Benjamin George yeah. you, you might have to tell us that
0: <laughs> yeah Coldhands himself though has a few things going for him he was killed long ago according to Leaf which you know the Child of the Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows the Nightfort very well. Notably, he knows the location of the Black Gate. He was clearly a brother of the Night's Watch. But, on the other hand, he might just be a corpse animated by the Three-Eyed Crow.
1: Yeah, he, he just could be complete nobody. <laughs> yeah. So, how about that for a wide range of mystery possibilities, folks? Night's King could be anywhere from everything we've heard about him. The mythical sorcery guy who, who wielded power over the Night's Watch. Well. To Benjamin Stark. To... <laughs> A dead black brother, nobody remembers at all. <laughs> so, really, uh, you could say that we haven't drilled this mystery down at all, have we? We've just, uh-huh. you're, you may be more confused than you were before. No, I'm just uh-huh. kidding. I, I think we've opened up a lot of possibilities, a lot of ideas, and prepared you for what might happen in the future books. Night's King is a mysterious figure, and I suspect he would be, even if we had a lot more detail. This is, again, because of the fact that he's such an ancient, uh, ex, you know, extremely ancient figure. But we do So we don't have a lot of detail. We can't do anything about that. We have myths. We have legends. We have the rest of A Song of Ice and Fire to guide us. There's different ways to look at it all. But we have a wide, we do have at least a wide range of possibilities and outcomes. So it's just,
0: it's vast. (laughs) Yeah, so hopefully we've done a pretty good job of working with what we have here. I mean, because despite the vagueness to his story, the Night's King legend legend does seem important, and the other legends that we mentioned too. Um, Much of it could be foreshadowing, um, if only we've the eyes to see it.
1: Yeah. it might just be, oh, that was what it was for, chef. Yeah, <laughs> oh. it might be
0: something like, yeah.
1: <laughs> we'll realize, like, oh, we should have seen that. Oh yeah. So, but in any case, when the Winds of Winter hits the shelves, if there's anything related to the Knight's King or the Knight Ford or any of the other subtopics we've touched on, well, you'll be ready for it. Not much will get past you. That's all for today, folks. We hope you've enjoyed our Knight's King episode, part four of mm-hmm. Religions and Magic. Um, be
0: sure to go check out Reddit. Um, if it's the 20- if it is the twenty second. 22nd- We might still be doing doing our AMA, so Mm -hmm. go check it out while it's up, or at least
1: see the the, you know read it and read the, the results. Um, check out our website, mm-hmm. com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been putting more work into that, and I've started occasionally putting up some little mini blog posts, little mm-hmm. details, little fun topics, small things that aren't big enough for a podcast.
0: Yep, there's uh, a subscribe um, field. You can subscribe to our website if you want um, an email notification when yep. we update the episodes there or when Aziz posts a little blog post. That's right,
1: and of course... Please check out Patreon, www.patreon.com slash historyofwesteros. Uh, like I said, it may not be up uh, by the time you listen to this episode, but it really should be very soon. And from every episode from now on, you'll be hearing about it. So there'll be, there'll be more details on that. Of course, uh, once again, check out our forums. Uh, check us out um, on Amazon.com. Check us out on SoundCloud. We're at, at History of Westeros on Twitter. And, mm-hmm. of course, we're at www.facebook.com slash historyofwesteros and uh gmail we are at history at gmail.com email us questions concerns mm-hmm. criticisms critiques or send us pictures of your favorite song uh, of ice and fire characters
0: <laughs> one more thing um one of the, the one of the um, patreon records we have is that episodes are going to be for some people episodes are going to be released early a few days early um We haven't settled on exactly the range of that yet. Um, About five days early. Um, That isn't going into effect, obviously, for this episode, but that will Mm -hmm. be going into effect in the future, so it's another incentive to go to Patreon. That's
1: right. The main goal with Patreon at the moment is to get enough uh, support to have a regular episode at least once per month on a a regular set schedule, like a a certain time, like maybe, say, the second Thursday of each month or the second Sunday of each month, something along those lines. And... The other important thing we get to do with that is, at some levels, here's just a couple of the ideas that we've had that you'll see on the Patreon page as well, we're going to give access to our scripts, to our documents, to people who uh, support the show at a certain level. Mm -hmm. That should be a lot of fun. We're also, at the very highest levels of support, we're going to allow people to choose the topics, to vote on which topics we're going to do. There's going to be a very small group of people that are going to be eligible for that, um, rather it's going to be open for for only a small number of people yeah, we'll, give, we'll give you
0: like four topics maybe sometimes we'll do just give us your ideas and you know we'll see how that works right. um, how the implementation of that works sometimes
1: out. that'll be far in advance because sometimes it takes us a few months to develop an episode <laughs> but that will be very important going forward and so you guys will have the opportunity to get more involved with the show and to influence the content we have on it so that is all still in development. Is finally getting started though. We're glad to have finally, after so many, after talking about it for so long, we're we're glad to finally be launching that. So, <laughs> keep an eye on that for updates, and we'll see you guys next time, Valar Morgulis.